everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasmer. This is Frank Pelicone. You're listening to episode 187, and tonight we are covering Superman 2 from 1980 as part of our journey through the Superman movies. Uh, we have an 83% from critics and a 76% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes for this movie. But it is directed by Richard Lester, uh, written by... David and Leslie Newman, who is rewriting an original script for Mario Puzza. Uh, we have Christopher Reeve returning as Clark Kent as Superman, Margot Kidder as Lois Lane, Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, and Terrence Stamp, Sarah Douglas, and Jack O'Halloran reprising their minor roles in Superman as Zod, Ursa, and Nan. Um, <clears throat> so we talked a little bit about this last time, Frank, in the sense of... Uh, Richard Donner directing the first movie and uh, the complications, the the fallout with the the Salkins, um, and then their business partner Pierre Spengler. Um, this is where it really takes form is by, because this was being filmed at the same time as the original Superman. Um, it was seventy five percent complete. This movie, the falling out, like you know, the the connections just severed between the the producers and Donner. Um, and then Richard Lester, who was a mediator and second unit director um, on the first movie, now takes this movie over. And they only had, I don't know if you noticed, they only had the, the fight in Metropolis left of film and the uh, scene when Zod and them come to the small town. Um, that was all that was really left, like that 25% or whatever that was left. And um, But to get the directing credit, Richard Lester um, ended up tacking on a new beginning, a new opening, and then refilmed some of those sequences. Yeah, I was going to say, he refilmed some stuff in there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it kind of ends up being, you would think it should be a hodgepodge mess. And to some degree, it is in some ways. In some ways, it's actually really impressive that this Frankenstein movie works on some levels. Um I think it's no, it's noticeable once you know things like, you know, uh, what Donner directed probably and what Lester directed. I think it becomes fairly obvious if you know that kind of and are paying attention to the movie knowing that. Um, and you can start seeing like weird things like Superman changing shape. I don't know if you noticed that, like size and um, Lois. It's, a, it's noticeable in a couple of places how thin she is um, because it was filmed so far apart. Yeah. Clark's hair is different. Yeah, she has um, she has more laugh lines actually. It, yeah, yeah. In a couple scenes, he, he got thick neck like at some yeah. point, like real thick neck. <laughs> um, like yeah, there, um, there there's definitely scenes where he's wearing either a wig or mm -hmm. they're really like combing his hair crazy to try and make it look like the previous film and earlier in the yeah. Hackman the refused to return to this, so I don't know if you notice like the long shots, like when he's going to the North Pole, like to the Fortress of Solitude, like there's like a long shot and there's a voice over. Like that's not Hackman's voice um whatsoever. They it's like an uncredited voice actor like covering him because Hackman refused to return after Donner was fired. Um and he's... Reba yeah. Oh sorry, God. Well Hackman's a principal dude in that respect. Yeah, I, Reeve actually didn't want to return. Um, he was very upset by it as well, and he ended up signing a new contract that gave him more money, but also gave him more creative control over the character, um, which is pretty mm -hmm. interesting for 1979 or whatever, for yeah. somebody to get that kind of artistic control, I thought. But 
anyway, kind of a mess of a movie um, from a production standpoint. But um, this was your favorite movie of these as a child, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Same here. And um, so what still holds up to you out of this? I think the thing that's I still enjoyed the most in watching this is the trio of villains. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a fun dynamic between Zod and um, Ursa. That's kind of the polar opposite of the dynamic between Clark and Lois. Hmm. Can you expand um, on that just a little bit? Like, well, I mean, Zod is like this cold, domineering um, warlord who has this touch of affection for this this other person, like. To them, non is just kind of their whatever, you know, silent muscle. But there's definite, like, affection towards her Mm -hmm. and almost, like, deference where other people can't talk to him in any way without him threatening to kill him. But she has kind of, like, the ability to sort of speak to him. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's obviously in the position of power in the relationship, whereas Lois is in the position of power over Clark. Um, and it's kind of the opposite thing to that, where Lois is brash and aggressive, and Clark is kind of the more like he can say things to her that sort of guide her, um, her temper or whatever. Her like, not temper, but because not that she's like an angry person, but she's very like explosive and flighty, right. and yeah, he's kind of like a grounding anchor to that. So mm-hmm. interesting, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I, I like when I was watching. I thought that was kind of an interesting dichotomy. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, um Terrence so, Stamp, yeah. one of my favorite villains, um, superhero movie villains of all time. Like I loved that character when I was a kid. Um, I always wanted a General Zod action figure, and I never had one. It was a disappointment mm-hmm. of mine. <laughs> um, I think the fight scene in Metropolis is pretty groundbreaking and i think there's a lot of things that happen in it that are still kind of mirrored to this day um in particular we talked about this a little off air but superman punches non at one point and sends him flying through a building diagonally and they do this really cool shot where it's like past the receptionist like up through the office and then like through this other abandoned like empty office and then out the back of the building and it's just it's 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 pretty cool yeah it's a cool shot um the idea of like collateral damage and the villains using um, innocence to kind of gain an edge over the superhero, I think is pretty cool. Um, that was a trope of the comics anyway, but to see it on the big screen like that, I think is kind of kind of sure. interesting. Um, I think it's a really interesting in that scene where Zod realizes it. You know, yeah. um, he actually cares for these things, and she versus like you mean like pets and he's like, like you're right. yes yeah I get you. perhaps yeah. like pets right right because neither of them can comprehend like sure. a friendship yes right um especially between like lower beings mm. um i like uh i still think the fortress of solitude is one of the better visuals in like the the series in general like i love the way that the crystals look and everything um uh I mean, the score and some of the visuals, like, even though it's it's still kind of campy at this point, like, there's some, still some beauty in that cinematography and some, you know, like, just innocent, like, awe, like, watching, like, Christopher Reeve, like, fly. Um, and I think some of the stuff, like, some of the cinematography, like, Niagara Falls, for instance, is really pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Agreed. 
I think it still is a really solid story idea. Mm-hmm. And I, the whole, the sins of your father kind of coming back to, to haunt you and mm-hmm. sort of putting him in a position where even though he's the ultimate um, do-gooder, that he can't, he has to sacrifice like his own life, basically, from a personal standpoint in order to maintain the ideology that his father put upon him and yeah and, uh, and again I, like a, that first time you see it on the screen right I yeah mean, i don't know that they do enough with it yes, here in I terms agree. of like talking about yeah. it yeah we'll talk but about it. i i think that the underlying theme of the fact that you know in order to be who the man that both his earth father and his celestial father want him to be he's got to let go of everything and that's that's mm-hmm. one of the things i think that makes superman an interesting character like a lot of people complain that, that makes Superman boring, that he's just kind of like the ultimate like goody two shoes. But in a lot of ways, it's a really interesting thing to think about, you know, the sacrifice of personal gratification for the greater good of the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that last scene, even though it's kind of hokey with him standing there holding the flag saying, I let you down, but I'm not going to let you down again. Like, you know, yeah. I'm here forever. Mm-hmm. Um, In a lot of ways, that's that's an interesting part of like sort of that late 80s early 90s like change in comics to a more like grim and like gritty reality um mm-hmm. frank miller really grabs upon that whole idea that superman is just as iconic to america as the flag and that like he's the ultimate stooge almost like that he's not like this paragon of virtue he's just the dolt that is so blind that he's right. willing to do whatever for the country and in a lot of ways that's true i mean like of course can't let the world descend into chaos i guess at the hands of the kryptonians but Mm -hmm. does he have to change as much about his life especially in terms of like losing lois when she's willing to do whatever it takes to stay with him Mm -hmm. um so in a way like that's you know i mean he gets called a coward early in the movie but uh, several times by a couple different people but that's like the ultimate act of cowardice right there is just not being willing to do the hard thing of staying with the woman he loves and instead he can do the easy thing of just being the invincible man of steel um and i think that's interesting too and then you know yeah although yeah, i think conceptually I, I don't know. it's interesting it's the way that it actually is done to me that's a that can be problematic but i'll, I'll yeah talk yeah about well, well yeah well yeah we'll get yeah, to all conceptually that. i definitely find it interesting i think it's i think it's good i think the it's it's one of those things where we have a i guess friend um from the past who's a really big superman fan we have a a current friend like a real friend in the present who's also a really big superman fan right and my argument is always that it's there's not a lot of nuance usually in the character but i think that there's these these things that can be nuanced that just aren't typically like fixated on because they're so interested in just showing like the power of superman you know yeah so i think the costume looks better in this movie i do too you you can tell the stuff that was shot later Mm -hmm. with like a different costume the the coloring on the costume is really good yeah really pop it it, it pops really well Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's that's the stuff that i enjoy yeah i i I mean my notes here i i a couple of them kind of overlap with you i yeah i really like um 
Zod nurse and non um in this. It's probably like my favorite thing about the entire movie. Um a few things that I really like about it is I like how quickly it happens actually, because it establishes them as a threat. Their takeover is super fast <laughs> overall. It's just like, oh, we like arrived on the what? They they go from like killing a snake to like taking out these deputies and then like taking out a town and then they're to the White House. It's like right. it's just this like guys short march to like you know world domination yeah. um and i think it establishes them really quickly even if it is maybe a bit comedic how quickly it happens um, actually i really enjoy the stuff in the town from their yeah. um mm-hmm. walk through the woods with the, mm-hmm. the the dude like drinking the the booze out of his coffee cup and just like you know because he watches zod walk on water right um yeah to them landing in the white house and that scene in the oval office like all, all that stuff is is really good i think yeah, I, I really, the, the Oval Office thing, as soon as I saw it, I, I remembered it before it started, like, as a kid, where it's like, there's the trick, the trick president, like, you know, yeah. like, but, um, and I think that's really cool, like, you know, where, like, Zod, like, I, first of all, Rise Before Zod, now Neil Before Zod is fucking awesome, like, yeah. um, but the fact that he quickly figures out, like, that that's not the president, um, is, is really cool. Um, it shows that, like, there's some sort of, like, even if it's, again, kind of campy or cheesy, it's like, it shows sure. there's a human psychology there, like, that he understands people. Yeah, well, um, I mean, pa- so... Power, I guess. Well, I don't want to interrupt your yeah. your list, but this is something that I want to kind of go back to repeatedly throughout this podcast. One of the things that makes Zod a really interesting character in the comic book universe is that He's a military genius. So Zod as like a superpowered Kryptonian is never as powerful as Superman because Superman's been exposed to the yellow sun for his entire life. Whereas Zod just gets like these bursts of it. So he Mm. has like temporary super strength kind of, but he's never like as powerful as Superman, but he can now think Superman a lot of times because he's got these like decades of just military strategy, like absolute, you know, strategical genius when right. he was a general on, on Krypton. So gotcha. gotcha. Um, not that they play into that here, but that's one of my favorite things about Zod is that, you know, yeah, there, there is a line though, that like maybe kind of, kind of touches a little bit upon it that I love is it's when they're in the town and like, you know, like some big explosion happens and like he yells out like I win. And then like, he kind of turns to the side a little bit and he almost sounds a little disappointed. And he says like, I always win. Like, (laughs) um, I, I think that's really an interesting, like little piece of depth to that character is that, there's a disappointment, like, there's, like, some sort of, like, lament for challenge. Um, I also think it's really interesting, given what you said about Ursa, that she does it a few times. She kind of gives him a look, like, your child, like, you know, like, what what a, <laughs> like, I don't know, yeah. like, he's a child or something like that. It's, like, kind of, like, she, she's she's going along with him, but it's, like, his, his bravado, like, kind of, like, a couple times where she's just, like, okay, like like you're a bit of a man child um, I, I think she understands in a lot of ways that she, because they're both like bad people um i think she under, that that's her way of understanding how she can sort of control him a little bit 
like get him to like always be on her side or at least bend to her mm-hmm. will slightly because she mm-hmm. understands like so much about him sure yeah because yeah, she just so, accepts it and like so you know. it's it yeah. it's funny that you say that that that's the way he views things because your first introduction to Zod is him being the ultimate loser and getting banned to the Phantom Zone. You know, like right. he's like he's been captured and like disposed of, you know, and he's it's only through happenstance right. of whatever, like a nuclear explosion in space, or whatever the fuck the explanation is, that he's even like able to, you know, return to reality. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And that like defeat at the hands of kind of like Jarrell, like being his jailer, like, you know, is like his motivation because it's like, it's the one time he doesn't win. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just this really interesting, like little thing is like where it's like a guy that is like really was really powerful and like lost one time. And he, um, he's still just like this guy that never stops. He just is always looking for a challenge. There always needs to be something more, um, and more. Um, uh, I really like, um, I actually really like the scene where she finally discovers, like, absolutely that Clark is Superman. Because um, I really like the chemistry between those two. Yeah. And there, that the, the, the little, just little tiny, like, 30 second sequence where um, he says, like, we need to talk. And, like, without any hesitation, she's just direct and is like, I'm in love with you. And he, like, chuckles nervously and says, well, then we really need to talk. Um, There's just the, there's still that charm in Reeve, I think. And, like, that bluntness and directness in her that I just love, like, the two actors, like, in in those roles. And I think they work really well together. Yeah. Um, I like Hackman in this. Actually, when I questioned Hackman in the first one, I actually like Hackman more in this one. Because he's just the kind of, like, craven comedic character who is just trying to find any piece of information he can give in order to rule Australia and I think taking him in like the lesser form like where it's like there's greater villains than him and putting him in that comedy role I actually like more than I did probably the first time and I think and I and I think that like getting allowing him to play off Superman like where it's like there's part of him that's like when it's like Superman shows up and he's like oh thank god <laughs> like I, I think it gets him, allows him to do a little bit more with the character um, even if it nerfs him still which is it's, my complaint in the first one it's interesting you say that because he's actually one of the things that I dislike about this movie hmm. is the Hackman performance of Lex Luthor and the way that Luthor is used um just as a character in general, but we'll we'll get to that when we get yeah. To that. I I don't think I I think I don't think I like the way he's used, but I didn't necessarily completely like the way that he was used in the first movie either. But I think I liked it more by leaning into it, like um, rather than trying to still make him be this. Um, I thought he was treated too comedically in the first movie, but <clears throat> let's see. And then there's one other thing that I wanted to mention. Uh, I know. I guess that's it. Um, yeah, it's the Metropolis fight. I really like the Metropolis fight, and I like the stuff that takes place in the Fortress of Solitude. I I think yeah. the second half of that movie is actually to me, it's like when we'll get into it. It's I actually kind of like the first half of the movie in different ways, and then I really like the second half of the movie, but I don't like them combined together. I think is like my yeah, ultimate. I agree with that. So. Yeah.
So what what's a problem to you, or what are the problems with? So the, let's start with exist? Luther, since I already said it. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like instead of being, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think he's perfect in the first movie, but I still like Hackman's portrayal of Luther as this like coldly charming but vindictive and villainous asshole like this megalomani megalomaniac that's willing to sacrifice billion millions of lives for his own personal gain just like a windfall in the real estate market kind of you know like i it's not 100% what luther is in the comics but it's it, it's an interesting depiction of like what a real world villain would be is like not a guy who's you know, wringing his hands and gnashing his teeth about, like, controlling the weather or destroying New York or something. It's a guy that will destroy all of California to make a killing in the real estate mm -hmm. market. You know, like, that's the true villainy of of our world, I think. Mm -hmm. I think in this movie, the problem is that he's only there to explain things and move the movie forward. Like, he doesn't come into play until you need him to randomly, with Miss Teschmacher or whatever, create a reason that the villains would even know to go to the Fortress of Solitude. And then he's almost like the anti-proxy for you as the viewer, in that he's just kind of like explaining things as mm -hmm. they're happening in a detached way. And then like, oh, hey, hey, don't... Don't hit me, boss. Don't hit me. I'm not, right. I'm still valuable, you know. It's, right. And it's it's just kind of a. It's almost like how do we use this character without actually making him matter, right? When he's mm -hmm. in the presence of these beings that are basically like Superman, you know, like what does and that that's the interesting interesting thing about Luther in the comics and kind of what they've tried to do in the movies a little bit, although I don't think they've been successful there. Um, but the idea that what is man next to the Superman, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost like a Nietzschean like idea. Right. Sure. And that's what Luther is the like embodied, like the physical embodiment of is always trying to prove that that spark of human ingenuity and intellect is enough to beat even like, a being with the power of a god and right. i that's kind of what i would have liked to have seen more in relation sure. to and whatever that movie would have been like six hours long but yeah right but that's so, what i'm saying i would have liked to i like that idea too like um i like to see more of that in the first movie as well you know and i i i think that's like where i see it is like i wish they would have done more of that in the first movie with him and but if they're not i kind of like the comedy aspect of this i guess is my point like since i already thought he was kind of too comedic yeah and they, and they didn't get into those philosophical ideas that much so that bothers me yeah um the fact that the first part of this movie is basically like robert altman light for an hour um with the zany adventures and the slice of life stuff and like Superman's saving the kid from falling off the, you know, Niagara Falls after some ridiculous, almost like Pink Panther-esque like opening with the Eiffel Tower. 
Yes. Like, this is, like, what you have is that... Yeah. He's just rescuing the... Nuclear I mean, bombs on the Eiffel Tower, yeah. Yeah. It's, little... it's, it's so, like, antiquated in... And safe, kinda. And it's all just for the will-they-won't-they they romantic dynamic between the two of them, which I don't mind. I just think it's kind of a cheesy way to do it. Yes. Um, Agreed. I, th- I think I'm, they carried on their backs, though. Like I'm something that bothers me, and this is like whatever, like the comic book nerd part of me that's being bothered is uh-huh. Superman's like power should not be mutable to the situation that you just need them to be able to do something. Like Zod being able to use powers of like telekinesis out of nowhere just because it's easier than figuring out a way to get the deputy's gun in his hand that he can just like draw mm-hmm. to him or mm-hmm. Superman's kiss being able to wipe out Lois's memory like none of those things are Superman's powers and the thing that really bothers me about that and this again this is another thing I said to you like before we got on the before we got on the call is that this is not an unknown character in 1980 like everyone knows who Superman is and everyone knows Superman's powers Mm -hmm. and like giving him all these extra powers it just it just kind of makes mockery isn't the right word but it's just it's so irreverent to like the actual character itself that it feels like disconnected from you know like the world of superman in the comics which has this rich history just for a sight gag or just because you're too lazy to figure out another way to to advance the scene or whatever i hate that yeah. shit yeah, especially yeah. like the memory erasing kiss thing is Whoa, that, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a different issue with that, too, but yes, yeah, as a power, I get what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's much more transgressive, I guess, now than it would have been in 1980. Yes, right. Yeah. 1980, he's doing what he feels is right to save the person he loves. Well, sure, now, that's the justification, right? Right. Now, there's so many other things that you can kind of associate with that. Sure. In terms of, like, you know, a sexual act to erase someone's memory about the previous sexual act that you committed on them. Sure. It's a violation. Yeah. Very, very, very questionable. Yes. Um, especially because she's so heartbroken and still in love with them, like right Right. away. Right. That, um, it's really callous. And like I said, it's cowardly on his part to, to do it. So that actually leads me into my biggest problem with this movie. And this is probably going to sound ridiculous. So, Superman is portrayed as being like, even though I don't look at it like this, that that he's he's someone that's willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good. That he's mm-hmm. he's above the base needs of mortals, even though he feels them. That he can forego like it's almost like like a like a like a Buddhist like ascetic is that he can, you know, forego like earthly pleasure in order to achieve like this kind of spiritual you know justice or whatever Mm -hmm. but then flies back to hackensack or whatever to beat the shit out of this like pissant truck driver that embarrassed him in front of his girl right right like the guy's a bully whatever sure but he's fucking superman he just saved the world i don't i don't like to use this kind of language too much but there is a bit of fragility there Oh my God! It's com- it's completely like I said. He's a coward, right? Like he's got to get his win back. This Superman is fucking Hulk Hogan. Like you know, 
<laughs> like here's right. one here's one guy that, that that got over on him like in the entire time he's lived on the earth brother you know you know what it's like it's it's what i don't like in the first movie which is the scenes of him as a, a like a teenager right when he's so angry at this like peon football player from this small town making him look small in front of a girl that he basically just wants to go and like rip the guy's head off yeah and it's an interesting look it's at superman in the sense of like and we talked about this when we talked about um unrelated but last week's podcast for the uh um the fresh five Mm -hmm. it's like it's interesting when you see those characters where they have this immense power and they go the evil route like i i actually find that to be really fascinating Mm -hmm. um because that's what makes superman like really so interesting is that he can restrain himself from doing that and it completely flies in the face of like that aspect of his character by saying like oh yeah he can restrain himself except that he can't and he's so petty that he's gonna go cripple this truck driver who just happens to be an asshole right i mean what did he do he like made and i and i hate the i'll be honest that's the type of comedy i hate too that final scene like where like this is the spinning oh yeah yeah and then like the push like down like the like it i don't what that is is that physical comedy what it is is it's the super friends it's not the idea of superman actually being like a super powered being it's the super friends idea of him being this whatever i mean like it's you're you're presenting it as a comedic thing to a five-year-old or a six-year-old like that's you know the thing that because i so it's interesting you said that because when i was watching that scene happen when i was watching this movie again um I remember loving that scene as a kid. Hmm. Like I was so happy that Clark Kent came back and got his, like gave that truck driver his comeuppance. Hmm. And I realized it's because it's such a childish thing, right, to take pleasure in, in the right. idea of like the revenge of the on on the bully, instead of understanding that the revenge is that he's fucking Superman, and that truck driver is gonna die of like cirrhosis in two years or something like that. Or fucking, like, have a heart attack from eating, like, four steaks a day. Right. <laughs> you know. Just... Yeah, because he was going to get another plate of that trash, right? Right, garbage. <laughs> yeah, garbage. Yeah, and he didn't even have a good line. I've never seen garbage eat garbage before. Right, I know. The fucking ocean's out of shrimp. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it's, um... Yeah, I I much prefer the the last scene with the White House as opposed to him going back to that diner. I I feel that's really right because I think I I feel like they like do a couple things and that diner that fucking diner that diner to me is like the key to this whole movie kind of like being a problem. Like you know, in terms of connecting that first half, which I kind of like, and the second half, which I really like. Because because the whole thing is that it really is just that he's he's a coward. He's got no backbone. The second that life becomes hard without his powers, I got to go get my powers back. And then the second he's like taking care of all the shit that got fucked up because he gave up his powers in the first place, I got to go get my win back. Like I got to like get right. even with this. 
Well, like, well I got to make do. fucking Lois forget everything, and then I got to get my win back. Um, right. I and and it's not just the concept of that. And yeah, you're right. It's cowardice. Like, um, when that scene in the middle of the movie happens, when he like like, I, if you haven't seen this movie in a long time, you have to understand how quickly all this happens. Like, whatever he talks to his fucking you know ghost video mom like you know and decides to like get rid of his powers to be with lois um basically it's like and this is intercut with stuff with zod but it's like then he sleeps with lois and then they go to this fucking diner and this guy sexually harasses this patron he doesn't even sexually harass her he He says let me buy you dinner in a creepy way and she says I don't want you to buy me dinner and this seat's taken. And he says, yeah, take him by me. Right. And that's when Clark comes out and tries right. to get all big. And then, right. Right. And he does, yeah, you're right. I mean, Clark like accelerates that, like, um, or escalates that like very quickly, but, um, which again is like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like, there's no chill all of a sudden. It's like, this is my woman. Like, you know, and then he gets his ass beat and then twice. she's like, right. Twice. And what is it? It's like, she's like, I just want, to be with the guy that I fell in love with and he's like what is it I wish he was here right now he's all like he becomes this fucking loser this sad sack and this all happens within like within seriously three scenes then the TV gets turned on in the diner for some reason (laughs) Um, while this dude's like all like beat the fuck up like after this fights just happened and then Zod like lays out his challenge and he's like you know what? Like, you know, that whole thing where it's like, I like, you know, I was giving up all my powers because I like was in love with you and I was going to live the rest of my life as a human and all that stuff. Like, that's that that can't work. Like, you know, like I, I got to go like to the North Pole, you know, um, and then drags his sorry ass back up to fucking the Fortress of Solitude to get his powers back, um, you know, like a kicked dog. It just makes right. him kind of seem like a fucking loser. Uh, he's a super loser. And it's like, and it's like that. It's like, seriously, what? Like, you you take out the Zod stuff that's inter- interspliced with it. It's what, eight minutes of screen time? Seven minutes of screen time? Uh, yeah, it's not much. I, I mean, it happens so quick to where it's yeah. like, you could make it be this tragic thing. Where he's done this. And oh my god, like, if you didn't have that diner scene, and it's like, the world's, like, getting fucking destroyed by Zod. And it could be this tragic, introspective struggle. But instead, the way they did it, again, it makes him look like a, like a, like a chump. So Um, let me, let let me rewrite this just for a moment. mm -hmm. Like, they leave... They're living in, like, the Dakotas somewhere for a year with the Kryptonian trio controlling the Earth because he's unwilling to give up Lois, and they keep, like, getting these reports, you know, it'd be like a 15-minute segment of how bad the world is and how terrible it's become and how, like, the world is still crying out for Superman. Like, where did Superman go? Come save Mm -hmm. us. And he finally breaks and says, you know, she or she breaks and says, I know you love me, but you have to go back like you have Mm -hmm. to do this. And it's tearful and it would be like heartfelt. And 
you'd feel bad for him and then and then him coming back would be yes you know like there'd be like some resonance to it it's you right. know what it would be like it'd be like the not a huge fan of these two episodes but the the two episode master arc in um tenants doctor who or no is that matt smith it's tenant where he's in the they capture him and he's in the cage and he turns into like this wizened old man Oh you right, know, you yeah, remember yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, and like, oh, yeah, I hate. It's that. like every <laughs> companion and friend, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. is like been rallying around the world for a year, like yeah. searching for the city. Like that idea, basically. Yeah, I get, I get you. Yeah, in that for a year, like he's tried to live a life of a human and tried to just like love this woman, but this is his calling, and she knows it, and he knows it. And that's the sacrifice. And then you're invested. It's 10 more minutes, maybe, of movie time. In addition, like, taking out the shit that they had and putting that in there. And then, it, you know, like, he's got to, like, work his way back to the North Pole. Because in this case, he just, like, how does he even get there? He, like, walks he, for two he, minutes he, and yeah, then he's on he dra- a truck? Right. He drags he drags his ass up there and then, like, right. hitchhikes. <laughs> yeah. So dumb. Yes. Hitchhikes to the North Pole. Like, fucking yes. on Santa's sleigh. Right. <laughs> so so that element of it is the thing that I think is the worst in the movie is the idea that it undercuts both Clark Kent as a man and yes. Superman as a hero yes. in every and it's cheesy but him excellent way. It's it. it's 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 a little heartbreaking that he lands there on that White House with that flag. And says, this is what I'm dedicated to. Don't ever worry about me going away again. Right. I will never make that mistake, even though he yeah. loves that woman. You know? Right. Right. Here's another small thing, though. Lois is, a sh- like, very... I don't know. Like, I think five years after this, if they stay together, Lois, like, is a shrill voice, like, emphysemic, like, asshole to Clark Kent. <laughs> for being like when he's not Superman anymore, because when I, yes, up, I I agree, I agree. Uh, when I they agree. pull up to that diner, she's like, "Wow, it's hot dogs, right? Let's go get something to eat." Right. And it's like Jesus, Lois, like it's some this, orange juice too, right? You, you're you're in love with this man, just right. like, calm down. Like, I know you don't yeah. need to be a jerk. Yeah, but yeah, I, it's it it really is like the, and I don't know. I mean, I think that it's just. Again, and I'm going to point to the fact that they're using all these powers that Superman doesn't have. I think it's a general lack of understanding of that character him itself that hurts the movie. And I think that that was true for comic book movies for, I don't know, like 30 years after this movie in a lot of ways. Is that all these people would write these movies and they weren't actual comic book fans so they didn't actually understand what made that character great in the written form. Right. And just trying to like get from point A to point B without any care for, you know, like making it make sense or making it like resonate with what is important in the comics. Agreed. And I think Donner took more care. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. And, and one of the things, and we're talking a lot about the problems of this movie. I still like this movie overall. Sure, um, me too. but I like it in pieces. I think, um, and like I enjoyed it. But I will say this is like I went into 
into the first movie expecting to be a little nonplussed by it. And I was like super nostalgic for it and really excited when I was watching it. And like, I had a smile on my face a lot in this time. And I understand this movie, this movie I expected to really like, um, because it's the one that I liked so much as a child. And I would have told you before rewatching these that number two was better than number one. I would have said the same thing. And I think it's the opposite. I do too. And and I think I think it's look it's it's difficult, right? I mean, there's a lot of production problems and all these things, but it's like, and this is a more serious story with a larger global threat to some degree than Luther was in the first movie. So I understand where it needs to be a bit more serious, a bit slower, but tonally, because of Lester coming in and throwing those slapstick elements in at times. I think tonally, like, the serious nature of the concept is being undercut by the slapstick at times, and it feels like some, somehow, and then plus Clark's a loser in the fucking diner scenes, yeah. and it, you lose that kind of, like, his exuberance for justice and for doing the right thing and for helping in that first movie, as cheesy and as it is in that 50s mindset, it was it was real. That was the kayfabe of that universe, and you could accept it, and it was a pleasure to watch, and it was exciting, and you could smile. This movie, it loses that magic of yeah, the first one. True. Like, it's a good story, I think, overall. Grand story. Like, the grand story is good overall. The way it's put together, I think, is, diff- is, is a mess and doesn't really help. Like you said, like uh, you said it much better than me about the the Clark or the Superman characters. Um, And yeah, so there's a lot of really good stuff in this movie, but I've really enjoyed just enjoyment watching the first movie better. Or more. Yeah, you bring up the slapstick and that's another thing that bothered me that I forgot to mention is that. Why do you need to make so they're fighting in Metropolis and it's this they've all decided that they're going to like destroy the city in order to beat Superman. Cause that's where his strength is and is in these people and they're using their super breath or whatever. And you got to have like, man, these French fries are great. <laughs> As his French fries get blown away or like, right, right. like Alice, I can't hear you. The reception's terrible on this phone. And the oh. like all yeah. that stuff is just, it's yeah. It's not even like the like the what the end is nigh guy like with the sign yeah. like sign around you know around his neck. People complain all the time about the comedy in the Marvel movies, and I can give or take sometimes like the the comedy that's there. Mm-hmm. But for the most for the most part, I feel like that comedy is in service of the story that's being told, and is or in service, it's in, and, and it's, it's coming from the characters often. Right. It's it's building. Ant-Man is somebody that you can, like, whatever, like, kind of, like, relate to. Like, he's really just kind of a dude, you know, whatever his name is, I can't remember, Scott, whatever, is is just, like, a guy. Lang. Scott Scott Lang is a guy. Or, you know, um, Michelle Pfeiffer and the Hank, Hank, Hank Pym and his wife, mm-hmm. they're, like, a couple that really was in love. Like, you know, like, they're this failable couple and there's jokes there or whatever um lang's like friend is arnie or whatever Mm -hmm. like 
he's a scam artist like he's a con artist at heart you know because he's a criminal at heart but he's not a bad guy and there's like humor there but here it's just i don't know it's just like let's just pad it with i don't know let's let's take this pivotal scene that's like horrific in the sense of these unstoppable beings like laying waste to a city and trying to murder people in an effort to like beat superman down and just put a joke in for no reason it just undercuts any tension or drama that exists in that scene to begin with and it's it's tone deaf and it's i don't know yeah anyway but yeah i still enjoyed it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i and and let me i think i think one of the reasons we're both so negative on it is like is you said it earlier on there are aspects of Superman that really interest you. And this doesn't, this does the opposite of that. Yeah. Well, this, this makes me think it actually undercuts a lot of my previous arguments that I've ever had, you know, especially with like, like Harville and and Dixon Mm -hmm. about Superman as a character, because I start thinking like, well, what about this aspect? Like, that's actually really interesting, and you could do something really interesting. And as bad of a movie as it is at points, I think that extended cut of Superman versus Batman is the closest thing to touching on some of those thoughts that I've ever seen, you know, outside of, like, a John Byrne comic or something, you know? And mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting to me. Like, I'd like to see that explored. And I think that I think that these two movies, I think Superman and Superman 2 come the closest to have the chance to explore it and they just kind of let it go because maybe Puzo had that, you know, maybe that's where those elements come from because he knew that that was interesting. Cause he's a pretty good writer, you know, and maybe yeah. Donner like kind of felt that because Donner's got that like grotty hippie aesthetic from the early seventies, like a play, you know, and like the ideological nature of his characters. And so maybe he understood it too, but Lester doesn't get it. And the Salkins don't get it. And whatever the name of those two people that rewrote the movie, um, the Newmans, they don't get it. So I don't right. know. Right. So, and so what it does is it takes a movie that would have been maybe like a classic of cinema, like, you know, these two movies together. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of reduces it to a very enjoyable thing that, like, hits you in, like, with these nostalgic pangs sure. from remembering how you felt watching the movie originally. And and, and to your point, like, I think that Donner, w- I, I, I have, and, and this is a failing on my part, um, I, I want to say I've seen a couple clips on YouTube, like, over the years, but it's, like, it's failing on my part, but I didn't want to put too much on this. The, the Donner cut that exists of this from like 2006 um, and inserts some of that footage that still existed and then like, you know, kind of storyboarded like, you know, out like some of the stuff that wasn't filmed. Um, I mean, Jarrell's cut from this movie purposely. Like, Brando is cut from this movie. They film stuff with Brando, with Brand, not Suze, Susanna York as the mom, like with Brando talking to him about everything and then when he goes back to the fortress and wants his powers back is chastised (laughs) um for what he's done and it feels like the that weight of the decision and 
and all that kind of stuff is focused on more in that Donner cut. And I, and I need to probably watch that at some point and just kind of see, but I think your instinct there is right. Is that Donner Puzo and Donner got it a little bit more and Lester, who is on the record saying that he, he was a little bit more, I can't remember the word he used, but like, you know, like jokey about the way he wanted to do things. Um, yeah, like, I mean, I think it makes it uh, kind of, like, tonally, like, uh, not deaf, but, like, um, incongruent with what had already been filmed and where the story was going. Um, and, yeah, I just think that, like, it's 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 not a mess. Somehow this Frankenstein picture works, yeah. but, um, but there's problems with it. Um, so... Two things. One is just something. Why the hell is picking up the pieces being played in a honky tonk restaurant? Oh, I don't know. How weird and like just like odd is that? Like, it makes it a really weird scene. Yeah, because it's the seventies. The other thing is, what do you think Martha Kent's doing doing this movie? I want to talk about somebody who's just forgotten. Like, going completely. To the, going to the casinos? Yeah, you think that's know. what she's doing? Casinos? Spend, spend, spend bingo, that. bingo. Bingo. Yeah. Duck pin bowling. She's, <laughs> she's, she's spending that Kent inheritance in style. <laughs> that's how the movie should have ended. That's good. Or Martha just... <laughs> Superman flies away, like, out of frame. And then you just, like, zoom back into Earth. And there's just Martha just, like, just bowling. <laughs> that would have been good. <laughs> um, I don't know. I have no idea what Martha Kent is doing. Yeah, I don't either. I, I just, mean, if you think about re- it, the movie takes place over the course of what, like four days or something. I don't yeah, know. It's I not suppose. even like that long of amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, any final thoughts on this? No, again, I think that, I mean, I I really, I enjoyed watching both of these movies again, because it had been 30 years since I had seen them, maybe. And it's interesting that how much, how new some stuff felt to me, because I had forgotten, and then how much stuff I remembered, like, almost exactly, like, I was really impressed with my overall memory Mm -hmm. of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish that the the Terrence Stamp portrayal of Zod is what became the concept of Zod for many many years, and right. I know that who is it Michael Shannon or whatever plays it. In, it is um, yep is a little bit different, but like I'd like to see that that concept of Zod come back. I mean, I think Zod is a I think Zod is a really good um, villainous character. Um, he's almost like the anti Luther in a lot of ways because where Luther is definitely um like i said like trying to prove himself Mm -hmm. superman's like intellectual like superior in every way except for like the physical aspect um i think that um i think that zod's kind of the opposite of that where zod doesn't need to be smarter or like better than superman zod just needs to be stronger than superman for a few minutes and he does it through you know, his tactical genius and like his allies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, big, yeah, big... I, I really, yeah, I think that's like the most shining thing of this entire movie is Karen Stamp, Azad to me still. Um, 
it's funny listening to like people that are much younger than us like watch this movie I, when i was reading reviews of it like uh audience reviews um of people not really liking that performance whatsoever and 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 i guess maybe it is like i don't know like a little old or something now for a lot of people but um i still really enjoy it and um i just love like the calculating way in which he's always looking like all the time like there's there's something a little almost like predatory or serpentine like about like his like movements almost like the slow kind of head turns and like you know like the way the eyes like move without the head moving at times and i i really just like love like you know like just how he's taking everything in like at all times and it is yeah. like you know a man of few words ultimately and um yeah, and I and like I said, some of those lines I really like the depth of them, and that's like the thing I'll take away most from watching this again is how good that performance is, and and again how good Reeve, Reeve is so good, like as no oh, yeah, as Superman and as Clark Kent, like it's it's such a good performance, like he's so just damn charming. Um, yeah, it's really unfortunate that that he died, um, or that he like had the accident when right. he did because yeah probably a guy that over the course of like our like teenage years and adult years like would probably become an elder statesman kind of actor yeah i think that's exactly right yeah almost like yeah. a proto proto keanu reeves in a lot of ways and like the fact that i don't know this yeah. handsome boyish charm and well anyway because yeah, because he's uh yeah because he has a couple really good roles like outside of this like later sure. on like um what's the morgan freeman movie that he's in like in the 80s like street street sense or street smarts or something like that mm-hmm. do you remember what i'm talking about he he's plays a journalist in a thriller movie that i really enjoy um let me i'm looking up right now. yeah i'm pulling up his filmography too. uh death trap i think is a good movie he's in that Street Smart is what you're thinking of. Street Smart, okay, yeah. Um, he's good in that Noises Off. Okay. Street Smart is definitely the thing I'm really familiar with outside of Superman. Um, yeah. But, uh, and I always really liked him in that. So, Death- how? Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, Death, Death Trap is good if you've never seen it. Uh, Michael, Michael Kane, like- Diane Cannon, him. No, I never watched that. Okay. Directed by uh, Sidney Lumet. You, you've told me about this movie. Yeah, I just never seen it come up anywhere. Or like, it's on. It was. It was on Tubi. I don't know if it's still on Tubi. Oh, okay. Um, or it's one of those things that I just don't like. It wouldn't come up like for me to like show me like, hey, this is on there. Um. Yeah. Uh, so how familiar are you? Because in two weeks we're going to cover three and four, um, kind of together. How familiar you are with three and four overall? I have very vague memories. I've only seen each of them once, and it was a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, um, I remember the nuclear man, and I remember Richard yeah. Pryor. Right. Um, That's about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't remember three much at all. Um, I know I watched it multiple times as a kid, and um, four was always on, like, Cinemax or some shit, so, like, I saw it a lot even though i knew it wasn't a good movie even as a child um but it was on so i saw yeah. like piece bits and pieces of it a lot uh so i think we're in for a treat like um with these in the first one we have lester returning as director like with full control and uh the newman's writing so yeah. 
I don't know. Look forward to watching it. <laughs> yeah, and then four is just a just a known disaster. So yeah, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But um, as we continue the summer steel, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good week. Yep. Deuces.